live, interactive, and here to assist you if you need help. Dealing with addiction, mental health challenges, and more. This is Road to Recovery with your host, Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Good evening. Welcome to Road to Recovery. My name is Yona Bud. I'm your host this evening. I'm in the studio with Natasha and Danny, and we're so happy you could be here with us um, this evening. And I uh, hope you're enjoying your long weekend. Getting chilly out there, man. Like, you got to really be bundled up. And uh, figured uh, I was going uh, to get outside today with sweatpants and a t shirt. Didn't really work out so well. Needed to bundle up, but I got the cozies out for fall ready to go. Actually, I have a better wardrobe in the fall than I do in the summer, so it's not so horrible. Uh, this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so we are going to spend the next hour, the first uh, half of the show, talking about breast can- talking about cancer, cancer recovery, uh, hearing a story of, uh, of survivor, uh, a story of a survivor, um, and it's really about how we are there to help others and making sure that we're doing the right things to support those people that are having a difficult time, and when we ourselves are having a difficult time that we have the people around to support us, specifically around cancer and cancer recovery. Um, so that's what this is about. Thanks for tuning in and stick with us. It's going to be a fast-paced show, certainly the first hour or so. So uh, stick around, and uh, if we can uh, help you, inspire you in some way, that's what this is about. Story goes on to say like this. It was a chilly Wednesday morning in February when the phone rang. A shattered voice on the other end said, It's confirmed. I've got breast cancer. At that moment, the surreal feeling of being punched in the forehead as if to knock you out. The feelings of anger and disbelief were overwhelmingly crippling. It was like sinking to the bottom of the ocean with weights tied to your legs. No matter how much you kick, you just can't get to the top. Helplessness and desperation consume you like a smoke-filled room. This is the story of an individual who was fortunate enough to get screened not once, not twice, but three times and found that she had... uh, developed breast cancer. But the story that goes on to say that the experience that this person had with this new kind of imaging, um, it was like an unbelievable experience, she said, almost spa-like. I asked how it was. She said a zillion times better than a, mo- than a mammogram, mammogram and kind of cool. When, obviously went on with her busy life, treasuring the moments we were able to get to hang out in the old days. She works with kids, so do I. So, like, who's got time to chill like we used to, right? Our own grown kids need us. Our granddaughter needs us. And, of course, our roommates, parents, they need us too. Family demands were at an all-time high. Lots of love, just no time. Five five days later, her GP calls and said, what kind of test did you get? Like, what is it? I've never seen a scan like this before. You should come in now and we should talk about it. She drives to her doctor. They talk about the results. Well, within one week and one day of that trip to her GP... She had another mammogram, ultrasound, and three biopsies, a week and one day. Unheard of. If you have had the misfortune of needing tests or scans like that, you all know what I'm talking about. Booking near-term dates are almost impossible. Somehow, for some reason, the mammogram schedule had an opening just that day, moments before her doctor called to book it. There was a cancellation for the next day. Like, really, come on. Luck or what, right? Talk about good timing, or was it? Doubt it. So how did it happen? Well, she needed an ultrasound as well, and again, hard to book on the fly, but somehow they found an opening. She Now she needed a biopsy. This is a really big deal. Not so easy to slide in. Five days later, she had a biopsy taken in three areas, all in a week and one day. So now, circling back to that chilly Wednesday morning, 
that will forever be in my mind. We were burying my aunt that day, I remember thinking. What a just, what a just maker we have, what a just God we have. Since such a sick lady, no suffering, died on the 18th, which is a special day for Jewish people. Uh, we believe it's the day of, uh, it's a, a life day, uh, the number 18. No mas, no fuss, just no, now that phone, now to the phone call. The results, breast cancer in two spots, she says. What do you do? Who do you call? What do you say? How can I comfort the love of my life who's in the toughest fight ever for anything? I was paralyzed and unable to act, to fix it, to make it better. I was powerless. During all of this phone call, I remember crawling inside my head and venting venom from within. I was sitting across from my teacher, my rabbi, who I was learning with every Wednesday morning for forever. What a great day Wednesdays were for me. Not this Wednesday, not today. I looked up and said, okay, rabbi, tell me why I shouldn't shave my beard and go running for a cheeseburger. Tell me again how my maker has my back. Explain why if I go out every day and try to do good work, why then is the one person in my life the most precious treasure stricken with what shouldn't be there? It should happen to me. Then I realized I was talking to a man who lost no, who lost two brothers and a father all within five years, two to cancer, one to a horrible accident. I bawled my eyes. I wasn't sure how to do that. Here I am trying to deal with this diagnosis, and it's all about me. Yes, all about me, testing my faith, and how could this happen to me, right? Never mind that. It, 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 how can this possibly happen? Anyway, somehow we cleared a path for this kind of recovery, and during the whole process, even during times of despair, like specifically when we were dealing, when, when she was dealing with, with um, the, the radiation, and there would be hundreds of people in, in, the, in, the, in the pit, in the, in the waiting room. She would say, you know what? You don't need to be with me. Go be with them. So for five weeks, and for five, weeks five days a week, I had a, a, a practice, a chaplaincy practice that would make any clergy happy, any clergy proud. As we look back at the weeks and recall the test results were favorable when the odds would never be. The results, if we could get a three instead of an eight, we got threes could influence others to take the test, we would do so. That's the purpose of this discussion this evening, my friends, is that testing and checking and making sure that you're on top of it is the key to successful cancer recovery. I stand before you and say that the tests are given to those who believe and are designed to strengthen our beliefs, I believe. I believe that we get tests to see how strongly we believe. And at the end of the day, it's sticking with that strength and the world's most foremost doctors and neuroscientists have proven that positive thoughts yield positive physical results. Well, it's hard to feel that when you're going through it. It's hard to feel that when the person you love the most in your life is stricken with a horrible disease like cancer. What do you do? It's not about you at that point. It's about them. And how do we separate our needs, our thoughts, our desires, our wishes, our fears, from those of the person that we love the most in our lives that is dealing with such a terrible situation. And we're dealing not just with women with breast cancer, men with breast cancer. We're seeing numbers that are through the roof in terms of percentage of breast cancer deaths related to others. The numbers are diminishing. We're doing a better job. We need to do even better. So I tell you, dear friends, this is our story. My name is Yona Butt, as I said. I'm talking about me and my wife, Pumpkin. Of course, that's not her real name but that's the name we're using this evening. When we come back from break, we're going to be joined by Pumpkin and hear her story of success, recovery, and strength. You're on the road to recovery. We'll be right back. 
Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. And welcome back to the show. You're on the road to recovery. My name is Yona Bud, and I am your host this evening. We are talking about Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we are about to be joined by my wife, whose name we go by as a pumpkin on the radio. And we're talking about her uh, her unbelievable journey from uh, cancer um, discovery to almost nine years uh, clean and healthy. Uh, so before we get her on the line, I want to just let you know that there are a percentage of, esti- of all estimated new cancer cases in women in 2022, 25% of them were breast cancer. Um, and that breast cancer, percent of breast cancer deaths, all deaths, small percentage of breast cancer deaths related to all other deaths in women. Uh, fortunately, that's not our case. And um, the increases, uh, uh, we're seeing a fairly a slight decrease in the rate in 20, 2002 coincide with the drop of the use of hormone replacement therapy. So we're, we're, it's, it's, uh, it's out there. It's happening. People are getting diagnosed with it all the time. I just think we're doing a much better job scientifically and medically in getting um, on top of it so people can get the help that they need. Joining me right now is my uh, the love of my life, Pumpkin, and um, here to talk about her story of recovery and kind of how we went through it together. Good evening, my darling. Thank you for joining us this evening. Well, good evening. Thank you for having me on your show. I know this is, uh, so those that are listening should know that this has been in the works for many years. I've been a broadcaster for a while now, and every time Breast Cancer Awareness Month comes up, we talk about whether her and I can do a show together without bawling our eyes out, and uh, we decided tonight uh, was the night uh, in the uh, merit and memory of my mother, who passed away four and a half months ago. So uh, we're going to do this because she knows this would be the right thing to do. Anyway, honey, I um, want to talk about um, really the whole discovery process for you. I mean, you were a healthy woman some eight and a half years ago. You're busy doing all kinds of stuff, had your regular mammogram, regular ultrasounds, regular visits to the doctors as much as you hated it. And then one day something happened different. What was that? Well, thank you very much for allowing me to share my story. Um, it is a remarkable story, and I look back at it today as I do almost on a daily basis and still are, am in awe of what had happened. Um, I, I love my job. That's how I start the story off. I have the greatest pleasure of working for a non-for-profit here in Toronto, an international uh, organization that helps teenagers. And I love my job. What I do is I'm director of development, which means I ask people for money every day. And in one of my conversations with one of our great investors, um, I asked him this next question that changed my life. I asked him what else he was investing in. And for the next 20 minutes, he shared with me with such enthusiasm about this new technology he was bringing up from California, uh, this 3D ultrasound imaging um, to help women with dense tissue uh, discover breast cancer. That year, three of my husband's uh, cousins were diagnosed, and I was sharing this with this particular donor, and it was just an amazing conversation, and he was just so excited, and I was so excited in this conversation, and that was the end of November. Fast forward to December 31st. I always work December 31st. Every fundraiser works December 31st. Um, It's a great day. People want to make their uh, last-minute donations, and it's always a busy day. I was actually taking a donation from somebody else when he called me 
and left me a message wanting to talk to me about two different things. I call him back. He makes an additional donation, was the first thing he wanted to deal with. And then he says to me, do you remember the conversation we had last month? Um, I brought your name up at a board meeting this week. And of course, I'm only thinking of my non-for-profit that I'm working for. And I immediately thank him. And he was like, no, 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 not business. The conversation we had about this technology. Well, listen, I told them your story and I've made arrangements for you to have this test. Well, I went dead silent on the phone and thought, wait a minute, (laughs) I don't want to do any tests. And I went on to thank him very much and that this is in my husband's family and not mine. And I just continued to push back that it was my husband's cousins that uh, were diagnosed and this was the situation. So um, I then continued to push back as he did. And he said, no, listen, uh, you just take the test. They're expecting your phone call. So I said, okay, I was going to do this and got off the phone and actually immediately walked into my, um, my boss's office and said, strange conversation, explain the conversation, uh, that he is insisting that I go for this test for this new medical situation. And um, my boss actually says, no, he's, he's investing in me. That's the biggest compliment you're ever going to get. I even told him on the phone, which I have never done with any donor. I I told him, I I take care of myself. I'm in a group with girls. We go for our mammograms. I get checked out. I even, again, pushing back with him, um, told him I've had skin cancer before, so I really do take care of myself. So I was, you know, in retrospect, looking back, I was a real idiot. Um, Anyways... So I phoned the next day, whatever the first day of January is, they are expecting my call. They actually say to me, I can come at 10 o'clock the next morning. I tell them I can't, I'm, I'm busy, and I make the appointment for the end of January. And I send an email to this donor thanking him very much and that I've got an appointment at the end of January. Five seconds later, he calls me back and he says, why are you waiting until the end of January? And I explained to him that I I really do take care of myself. I just had a mammogram. You know, I'm very grateful for this opportunity, but I'm a multitasker and I can't just take a half a day off for a test. And I'm scheduled for the end of January and I'll let him know how I do. He even says to me, I have no idea why I'm hucking you to do this test. I haven't even told my wife I made this investment. Now, bear in mind, he has nothing to do in the medical world at all, in in the least. He is an investor. So fast forward, I go for this test. It is wonderful. It is not like a mammogram at all. I've been going for mammograms at this point for 14 years. And um, I was told uh, I had dense, dense tissue, but that's all I was ever told. I was never told anything else, like what else to do. And I went for this wonderful uh, test and I thanked my donor the day after and wished him good luck with his business. And um, that was a Wednesday. The following Monday, I got a phone call from my GP. That I never got a phone call from my GP in my whole entire life. And it went exactly like this. Uh, it wasn't a, hi, this is your doctor calling. It was, Sonia, what kind of test did you do last week? Now, of course, being on the defensive, I immediately went, I didn't do a test. 
And of course, quickly we identified that I absolutely had a test. What, what, was, the, what was the test? Let people know what the, what the test oh, was. Oh, sorry. Thank you. I, I went to a clinic um, called VIP Breast Imaging that had the technology of uh, ABUS, A-B-U-S. This is 3D ultrasound imaging. It takes pictures of uh, your breasts and it divides each picture by 300 pictures. So they miss nothing. So carry on. I'm sorry, please. Um, so my doctor said that the test results were not positive. You need to come to the office right away. I even phoned you on the way down and to tell you that the doctor had called. And you asked me if you wanted to, me to have you meet me there. And I told you, no, what could possibly be wrong? I'd had a mammogram three months earlier and everything was fine. So I go and she's totally freaked out because she has never seen this test nor how detailed the results, and immediately calls for a mammogram. And as you said in your opening, a, a mammogram opened up the next day. I had a mammogram, and it showed nothing. My mammogram from three months before had showed nothing. She called for an ultrasound the very next day. One opened up. I had an ultrasound, and they found three areas of concern. And then, as you said, five days later, I had three biopsies. They typically don't do three in one shot because it's not the easiest of things to go through. But um, we were all very anxious and we were all very aggressive, my doctor and myself. And a couple of days after that, it was like literally nine days from the test, um, the original test, the 3D ultrasound imaging, I got the phone call from my doctor when I was at my office, I was in the middle of interviewing somebody, as a matter of fact. And um, I stepped out and I took the call that two of the biopsies came back cancer. And I uh, said, to <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No, you. Uh, we've got about a minute and a half left. Please uh, just share quickly what was going through your mind at that time and then just hang on because we're going to come back and do some more. Um, please carry on. So first thing I said to her is, what do I do? And she said, because of course she knew the whole story about this donor making me have this test, because of course I was blithering with her at the office. She says, you phone your donor and you thank him because he just saved your life. We're just going to hold there for a minute so I can catch my composure. And I know you need to do the same. You're on the road to recovery. My name is Jonah Bud, 640 Toronto, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. You're hearing, I think, one of the greatest stories ever. Please come back and join us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And you're on the road to recovery. Welcome back. My name is Yona Bud here at 640 Toronto. We are dealing with Breast Cancer Awareness Month in the first hour, and we are talking with my wife, Pumpkin, uh, about her recovery and uh, the fact that we're almost nine years cancer-free. It's uh, pretty remarkable. Breast cancer is the most common cancer among Canadian, amongst Canadian women and the second leading cause of, of death from cancer in Canadian women, uh, excluding non-melanoma skin cancers. Breast cancer can also occur in men, but not very common. Uh, Pumpkin, welcome back. Thank you uh, for sharing your story. You were telling us how, uh, where we left off, we were talking about this 3D imaging and how your doctor basically told you to call the guy who convinced you to go and get the test and tell him how it saved your life. Then where did we go? Uh, well, that was a difficult call to make, um, but no question. How did that call go, by the way? We've got time. How did that call go? Well, um, I called you first 
So that was the more difficult phone call to make. Um, there is no question about that. That was the hardest phone call I've ever made was telling you because I knew this wasn't just me. This was going to be me and you. And I, I had no idea what the road was going to be like, but I knew that I wouldn't be going this alone. But calling, uh, calling the donor, well, it was um, filled with tears on both sides. I couldn't, do, I couldn't tell him um, without um, crying. Um, actually, just even telling the story now, it's still a exceptionally emotional story for me. And I it's guess okay. I just come to the conclusion that it always will be. But it's a, it is definitely a, a story of, of positive because he said to me that there's a reason why this happened, because I'm not done with my job yet, um, and that I need to be around, and that's why I was saved. And that carries me, and that without doubt has carried me all the years. I was very fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of very positive people and taken aside and drilled into my head that positive will, will overcome this. And I, I had one specific friend that took me aside in synagogue um, and just drilled into me for 10 minutes the science of positive thinking. And I took that speech with me to every test to every doctor's appointment, to every radiation appointment, to every appointment. And I still take that conversation with me multiple times throughout the year because there are still some scary times. But I really work hard at knowing that it is going to be scary and knowing that getting retested every six months is harder than I ever thought. I would thought that with time it would get easier. It doesn't. Um, I've tried different strategies, you know, going away, um, going with girlfriends, going with you, uh, going myself. Um, I take which was which off. was better, going with me or going with the girlfriends? <laughs> they're all good. Okay. They're all they're all a distraction. And good answer. Yeah, that was a really good answer. But distraction is a is a big part of the, uh, of the winning game. Um, there is no question. And positive thinking is a big part of it and trying to stay healthy and eating healthy. And, um, but it's, it is a work. It is work in progress. That's what I think I am. Um, I, I take my birthdays really seriously. Not that I didn't before uh, cancer, but birthdays are even that much more of a big deal. They are yeah. the biggest deal for me because it's a huge, wow, I got here. Look, we did this. So You know, uh, it, 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 yeah, it's just incredible. Uh, wow, you're just, you continue to always be my greatest hero. Uh, but one of my producer, Natasha, was asking me while we were offline here in between me, uh, wiping off my tears. She said, well, how come, how come like not everyone's getting this, this dense tissue, you know, uh, 3D imaging? So we, we now know we've, that it's basically saved your life. Um, you went on, you, you then went on to advocate for this kind of therapy. You know, what do you, what do you tell women today that are listening to this story and, 
are concerned that they perhaps have dense breast tissue and may not be able to rely on their mammograms, um, A, how do you keep them feeling positive, and what do you tell them about how to seek the next level? Well, thank you very much for asking and for giving me the opportunity to share what I do know. Um, What I am going to share is going to scare everybody that's listening. 40% of North American women have dense tissue, and what that means is a mammogram is not finding cancer. People like myself that have dense tissue, it's, it's like finding a snowball in a snowstorm. That's what cancer is in a mammogram. It's undetectable. That's why 3D imaging is the answer. It unfortunately is not mandated. Unfortunately, it is not um, covered by the government. It is available in Canada. There are a number of clinics that offer this. It, is, it does cost money. And, I'm, and there's no question it is something that saved my life. And I tell everybody, any opportunity I can, I do not keep my cancer a secret. This is why when my donor, I mean, again, not in the medical business, he ended up selling uh, his clinic to somebody in the medical business. And he called me to tell me he was doing this. He told me he was selling me with the business. I laughed. <laughs> he told me I was the best spokesperson for this and because I had at that point already sent over a hundred women because it's that important. It's too good of a secret. It shouldn't be a secret. There, this, this saves women's lives. It is there. It's available. You don't need a referral. It's just making a phone call and I, I cannot advocate more for it. They, I've been in McLean's magazine uh, they did an article about it. Uh, I've spoken at the National Women's Show um, in Toronto about it. I'm, I've been on uh, other radio shows, sorry, husband, um, uh, in regards to this prior. And it's very important that women know, number one, to ask the question when they are having their mammograms. Do I have dense tissue? Like, we don't even know to ask that question. Right. I, I know several years ago, I might, I might not get this correct, but I know several years ago, Patrick Brown, when he was a member of parliament, he put a bill to the floor to try to make it mandatory that doctors at least tell their patients if they have dense tissue so that at least opens up the conversation so that we as patients can ask a doctor, well, what should I do? And then a doctor can say that there is private technology out there. You should go do this. And we're talking about three, four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars. I think it is really what yeah. we're talking about. Correct? We're not talking about thousands of dollars. Um, uh, Pumpkin, let me um, just blown away by the whole scenario. Uh, going back just a little bit because we've got such a little bit of time left. I want to that first phone call that a person makes to their loved ones, their support group. Um, what advice could you give someone who is a been diagnosed with it? And then be a receiving person. Like I hope I did a good job. Um, but what can you what can you tell somebody who's on the receiving end of that message? Well, um, I should have done it in person as opposed to over the phone. So that's the first thing I would have changed because um, I don't think that's fair. You think um, you could you could have waited? You could actually think you could have waited like that twenty minute drive or that fifteen minute drive to come and see me? I think I, I well. I don't know. I honestly don't know, but 
but I know how it impacted you. And I, and I, I know that I, if I could have changed that or made the impact less, I would have done that. So that's why I recommend to do that in person. Gotcha. And listen, uh, you were a champion. You were, I, I know this is not what you wanted to talk about, but you were incredible. I couldn't have walked this walk without you. So there's absolutely nothing that I could say to alter any of your behavior or your reaction or your anything. You were there 100% every moment, every, every moment. And you still are. (laughs) Um, You feel like doing another segment? We'll come back and do some more of this and uh, make it a trifecta. (laughs) Whatever works for you. works for me. We're going we're gonna to have you stick around and uh, talk some more about this. Maybe when we come back, uh, let's get to a spin on maybe on uh, kind of what keeps you going and uh, how you're getting through, you know, year after year, what it's like around test time. Maybe just give some people some strength and uh, some positivity to touch and feel and smell uh, going forward and uh, see if we can uh, impact people. We're talking about breast cancer survivorship here with my wife, the love of my life, strongest human being I know, um, and um, pretty smart cookie when it comes, frankly, young lady, a pretty smart cookie when it comes to being able to put your emotions uh, into a conversation that's to the benefit of others. You seem to do it really well, and uh, I'm fortunate, and we're fortunate to have you on with us this evening. When we come back, Pumpkin's going to continue to hang out with me, kind of like bringing your wife to work day. Uh, you're on the road to recovery. My name is Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Welcome back. You're on the road to recovery. My name is Yona Bud, your host this evening. We are talking about Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I am on with my guest this evening, who happens to be my wife, Pumpkin, and we're talking about her recovery story, uh, and hopefully you're tuning in. If you want to ask some questions, you want to ask uh, ask her some questions about her recovery, please do so, 416-870-6400 or 888 888- Two two five eight two five five. Would love to hear from you, and uh, she'd be, I'm sure, pleased to answer any questions. Uh, welcome back, Pumpkin. Thank you for joining us for a trifecta of segments one, two, and three. Uh, but let's get to some. Um, you were talking about how uh, this uh, this testing. Um, you know, you're kind of on the on the on the bandwagon, so to speak, to help others uh, understand it. Uh, one of our producers this evening, a female, um, she reached out and said, well, this is incredible. I had no idea. We need to tell the whole world. I think that's what we're trying to do tonight is tell as many people as we can uh, about your story. Um, So first, on a positive note, close to nine years, I know that every six months when you go through the testing, it's a difficult period of time. Does it get any easier? Like at some point, you just kind of feel a little better about the fact that you've got, you know, time on your side and you're kind of, you know, um, you know, charting in the right direction or not so much? Okay, so it's probably not the answer you're going to want to hear, but um, over the past almost nine years, I've had other friends and acquaintances also be diagnosed, and unfortunately, um, I've lost them. So I would had hoped that time would have given me a far greater chance in my head, but it doesn't work like that. I, I hope maybe someday it will, but it, it doesn't. So it's a, it, I'm a work in progress. 
I have to tell you, when my oncologist told me that um, I was coming up to my first test, I remember leaving that appointment and walking out and having my very first and only panic attack. That's the impact, knowing that I had to go through testing. That was my first experience. So it's never been like that again because yeah. I, I'm, I prepare myself as much as possible. So it's, it's work. I'm, I'm not going to lie. So that's my strategy. I know it's coming up. I know I have to work at it. And I do. I work at it daily. What do you, uh, what do you tell family, uh, family members and loved ones of, of those uh, going through what you went through and perhaps are still going through in terms of your, your, your uh, twice-a-year levels of concern and anxiety? And, of course, I'd be lying to say I wasn't feeling the same right beside you, maybe even a little, even a little less, uh, less in charge perhaps than you. Um, what, what, what's, what do you tell people in terms of getting through the other side and past that first year or two of testing? What, what keeps you going and what can you tell them to help keep them going? Positive has to win. That's what I keep telling myself, that um, I'm not done. I've got a lot more to do. I also do everything I possibly can to stay healthy. I you know, completely changed how I eat. I actually exercise. I actually do yoga. I mean, these are big things when I actually never did stuff before. So I, I made some significant changes in my life because I want to be around. There's a lot more that I want to do. So it's a, I'm motivated. I'm motivated. You you think it's a, you know, I know that, you know, you're a a believer in in faith. You have spirituality. You're a religious religious person by practice. Um, Is that... Does does that play a role, or did that play a role in in keeping you going? Is there a faith based uh, uh, game plan here, or not so much when you're in the middle of it? Hundred percent. It certainly has been for me, and it um, and it will continue to be. Um, it is a <laughs> absolutely a hundred percent. It is because I believe that I am here. Absolutely. The first time you, um, the first time you had your negative test, the first year. Now we're now going to be close to nine years, thankfully, uh, coming up. Um, hopefully, we'll all will continue the way it has been, and we'll get a decade under our belt, and then two decades, and like that. But in the meantime, that first year, people who are going through cancer treatment today, who are just you know finishing their radiation, finishing their chemotherapy, you know, coming out the other side of that, starting to feel a little better, coming up to their first test. Some advice to them on kind of how to go into this without perhaps freaking out so much and, and kind of how to, how to just get through it, I suppose. Um, definitely go on a holiday and try to forget it because you have to wait for your results. It is the waiting that is the, the, the killer uh, of, um, of positive thinking. There is no question. Over the years, I've had other... Um, biopsies in other areas of my body and I've had to wait a couple of weeks for biopsies to come back and I've, I've advocated I, I've done the I'm a cancer survivor do you know what this waiting does is there anything we can do to speed it up but you know that's not how labs work it you know things have to grow in order to get the results so unfortunately I've tried everything uh, to get the results quicker but um so distraction, 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 I think is the best strategy. That's what I have done. 
So I thought the first year, by the way, if everyone was listening, that if I bought her some jewelry, that would really help. Um, she did say it helped, so we've been doing that every year. Uh, but that's just a trinket, not a distraction, and I think it's a cash grab, to be perfectly honest. Uh, if you're just joining us, I'm talking to the love of my life, Pumpkin, about her road to recovery, uh, survivor of breast cancer now, close to nine years. Um, honey, when uh, we've got about four, four or five minutes left here. When, when you look back at the, I remember the days you and I were sitting in the hospital and trying to organize, you know, the next test, the next test, and the next test. Um, do you remember how we would look at each other every time, like suddenly there'd be an opening and then suddenly there was another opening and then suddenly there was an opening? Like, you know, you know, rather than waiting weeks for things, we had them the next day. At that point, did you feel like Maybe there was a some level of divine intervention, so to speak, that was kind of carrying you through that process, or kind well, of what did what did that feel like? There was no question. There was divine intervention every which way we turned. Um, it just seemed that doors were opened for us where we would typically have to wait. We also had uh, a lot of people rallying for me, and um, doors, thank God, were were opened. <laughs> It was it was truly unbelievable, and also uh, I, I there was a there was an area of the fact that this technology was so new that it it kind of freaked out a lot of doctors, so they wanted to see what was going on. Um, so I think that also expedited me as a as a cancer patient because of how my cancer was found. This technology was just so new. Did you feel like um, the purpose for you to be, I mean, for those that don't know you, that, that for those that recognize your voice, know who you are, I mean, you are the most uh, dynamic, impactful uh, speaker, um, advocate, uh, fundraiser, salesperson. Uh, you have no shortage of ability to speak uh, to people, individual or large groups or otherwise. Um, did you think, think somewhere along the line, kind of even in the middle of your darkest time, that somehow this was, you know, you're supposed to be on this uh, uh, trip, this road of discovery and, and, and kind of be the guinea pig, so to speak, if you will, um, for this type of treatment so that you could go out and blast it from, this, from, the, from the rooftops? I don't, I don't think it was, it was divine intervention that this was meant to be. We're, I don't know where you're. We're, we're getting a lousy connection, so you must have moved from somewhere to somewhere. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that better? Much better. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Yes, I did move. I do apologize. Um, I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I do know that um, I really feel that I can't be mad that I got cancer. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever had a mad day because of how it was found. I mean, I am such a lucky chick without doubt because every single one of my doctors told me how lucky I was. And every single one of my doctors told me that because of the location of my two tumors, it wouldn't have been found because I had dense tissue until it was too late. My, I, it would have been, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for this technology. Yeah. Um, so I'm, talk- I'm yeah. really lucky. We're talking about 3D imaging uh, technology for the uh, detection of breast cancer in women and men, frankly, that have uh, dense breast tissue. Um, it's a crazy story. We've only got a minute, minute and a half left. There's one of these machines in the, in the basement of a major Ontario hospital somewhere, isn't there? And it's covered in a, in a tarp and no one wants to use it. Any idea why? Yes, I absolutely know. Um, it takes three minutes to read a mammogram. 
It takes 45 minutes to read an ultrasound imaging. You get paid per reading. Everyone can do the math. This is going to take a long time for it to become standard um, practice for women. Women need to ask for this. Women need to be advocating for themselves. We need to be asking if we have dense tissue. Again, I will repeat. I mean, this is information I did not know until after I was diagnosed. But 40% of North American women have dense tissue. That's a huge percentage. Yeah, uh, we have to get out there. You got to advocate for yourselves, ladies, and and uh, those that are that are looking after um, people who are going through this kind of time. Make sure you talk about your dense breast tissue. We uh, we're on with uh, Pumpkin, my wife. You're on the road to recovery. We're going to let her go and uh, just thank her so much for her time and for sharing with us. And hopefully, those that are listening, it, it's helped you a little bit and given you a little bit of strength. It certainly gives me strength every day, uh, just knowing that she's the fighter that she is. Uh, but uh, get out there, advocate for yourself. Don't say, take no for an answer. If you think you have breast tissue, dense breast tissue, um, you should get out and get the kind of testing that is required. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about some other stuff here, about the Alberta government's commitment to fight human trafficking. Right now, we're going to do a bunch of ads, and I'm going to go hug my, go hug my wife and tell her that I love her. We'll be right back here on The Road to Recovery. I'm Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. And welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us. This is Yona Bud here on The Road to Recovery. Appreciate you being with us. We know you have other choices, and we're glad that you chose, chose us. If you are just joining us, we're talking about... Uh, Interesting stories, hopefully, that will help everybody kind of get through the other side of their day, other side of their life. Maybe there's things that are meaningful to you. We just spent the whole first hour talking about breast cancer awareness and heard the story of my wife's recovery and a miracle story on how she was diagnosed. So if you've missed that, please look for it on our podcast uh, later on this week. Uh, right now, though, want to just kind of shift gears a little bit um, and talk about um, the Alberta government has made a huge commitment of uh, 20, almost $21 million dollars, 20.8 million to fight human trafficking. So what we're really talking about here, when we're talking about human trafficking, if you've known there's a rash of crimes related to uh, missing young uh, women and, in fact, perhaps uh, some men as well uh, that have been involved in the uh, world of human trafficking, being picked up by bad guys and then used for the purposes of generating uh, cash and revenue for, the, for them uh, on the backs, literally, of those being driven into a life of uh, sexual uh, exploitation uh, under the guise of human trafficking. So start off with you know somebody meeting a, a person in distress usually a young person perhaps a runaway someone who's a little lost disconnected from the rest of their life and um, then takes them on takes them into their lives and kind of befriends them such as you know I love you I'll take care of you and the next thing you know this poor this poor person this unfortunate young uh, victim then becomes a uh, a pawn in the world of serving up uh, the uh, needs, sexual needs to those um, men mostly um, who are looking to uh, have sex with uh, people who perhaps um, are underage. Uh, many of those being trafficked, trafficked are in fact underage. And, um, you know, there's obviously an appetite for this type of um, 
behavior because uh, it's, it's, it's rampant. And the way it works is that, you know, the, the traffickers then move their stable, if you will, their, their group of women, their, their group of women or young men, the, from hotel to hotel, motel to motel, city to city, um, and basically uh, selling their services online uh, through Instagram posts, uh, Facebook ads, and alike personal columns. Certainly the dark web, uh, if you know uh, anything about that, that's certainly a, an area to uh, spend time at if you're looking to get involved in this kind of, of you know, I think, um, really kind of despicable activity. Uh, you know, it's prostitution is one thing. It's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about people that have made a decision to become sex workers for their revenue, for their livelihood. We're talking about people who are held against their will, who are forced through beatings, druggings, and other forms of uh, uh, humiliation and um, and uh, breaking down of one's um, confidence, one's uh, self worth, such to the point where they're they're just you know lost, uh, lonely, usually sickly. Um, and when I deal with uh, people who are victims of human trafficking, and I do so in my private practice, we have um, at the farm as well uh, in Stouffville, where I'm the uh, clinical director and. Uh, co-founder of a residential treatment center. We treat them uh, the same in our uh, Recover at Home program, which is our um, at-home recovery program, um, virtual recovery program. Uh, deal with patients that come to us uh, as a result of being trafficked um, and dealing with horrible post-traumatic stress, uh, unbelievable levels of anxiety, lack of self-esteem, lack of self-worth, suicidal ideation, suicidal attempts, and so on. Um, it's It's not... It's not what you think. It's not a bunch of young, it's not a bunch of girls and people looking to sell their bodies and, you know, going to the, getting someone to, to market them in, in some, you know, collegial fashion where, you know, they, there's some shared arrangement for money. These people are locked up against their will, often not fed daily, often not um, seen by others, locked away in places where they're not, uh, they don't have any interaction with others other than perhaps other people locked up in their own um, their own nightmare of human trafficking. Um, these are not people who make these decisions of choice. And I'll tell you something, the types of people that seem to be trafficked for the most part, I heard one police officer say this some time ago when we were talking about this together over a coffee, and he said to me, the people that seem to be victimized the most are people that no one seems to care about, that these are the people that no one seems to be looking for. These are the people that perhaps ran away from home or didn't have a home to run away from, or perhaps ran away from a very abusive environment such that being on the street and the risks related to that were a greater, a softer, and easier choice perhaps to make than staying in the horrible environments they're, they're in. Country singer Paul Brandt, chairman of the Alberta Human Trafficking Task Force, says, personally thank Premier Jason Kenney during the funding announcement Sunday in Edmonton International Airport a week or so ago and his willingness to prioritize the issue and for putting faith into Brandt to lead the group. Premier Kenny's long-term personal dedication and commitment to the issue of human tra- uh, to the issues of human trafficking is authentic and admirable. He's only a political leader I've met in my 17 years of advocating for trafficking victims and survivors who took the time and initiative to personally write a plan to address this horrific crime. The money that's going to be used is going to be to establish an, uh, an office to combat trafficking as well as a center of excellence for research and data collection. The more data we get, folks, 
the easier it is to combat this stuff. Other task force recommendations will be supported, include a new grant for community projects, indigenous-led and culturally appropriate services. A lot of indigenous women seem to be trafficked. A lot of women of color seem to be trafficked. Women of, of, immigra you know, of, of new immigration status seem to be trafficked. Again, people who mostly don't have people looking for them. Human trafficking is far more prevalent, way more common than any of the stats that we read about suggest. It's, a, it's one of those hidden crimes. It festers in the dark, according to an announcement that Kenny made. There are victims who face fear, shame, and self-doubt, and some of whom never report what they've gone through or are going through. It's almost impossible to escape this kind of life. The government has said that the task force was appointed in May 2020, engaged with nearly 100 experts and survivors of trafficking to provide the guidance on how to best implement the government's action plan. We all need an action plan. Every government needs an action plan. We need to be dealing with this in such a real way that we're able to affect change and make change a reality, not just to deal with those that are providing, that are, being, that are, that are forcing those into trafficking, but to concentrate and count, count, you know, count, excuse me, crack down on those that are taking advantage of such services. These people that lurch in the middle of the night and late afternoons coming home from work, stopping at these sleazy hotels, motels, truck stops, RV parks, places like that where they know they can get sex for not a lot of money from someone who's probably and likely underaged. It's, it's as much a problem with those that use the service as those that sell the service. It takes two to participate, right? The buyer and the seller, and of course the product in between are these unfortunate human beings that are being exploited and forced into labor, labored trafficking and trafficking in other human situations, organs, tissues, carrying drugs across the border, um, other forms of, of domestic work, being forced into domestic work. These are all forms of trafficking that not a lot of people spend time and, and pay attention to. In the winter of 2019, um, Kenny went, later went on to say that he committed the UCP to a nine-point action plan to combat human trafficking, which led to the Protecting Survivors of Human Trafficking Act, which took effect in May 2020. Brant said he was the leader. He's the leader now of this program. It was exciting to be part of a funding commitment at the airport, where he said he stood in 2019 for a partnership with the facility and other groups in Edmonton. To, re to in region to fight trafficking when he called modern day slavery. It's been our dream that special focus and permanent funding would one day become a reality. Today is that day, and the article was in the Canadian press. We really need to focus on the kind of world we live in where this kind of behavior is okay. We really need to focus on a world we live in where there is a market for these types of trafficked human beings, that there's a market, there's are people that will pay for people who are obviously there against their will. When you see someone, you know, I, I've been in situations where I've seen, you know, uh, op pro you know operations of, of uh, brothel, brothel operations, prostitution operations, where they were, you know, willing participants and uh, business transactions took place. That looks like some kind of a, uh, that looks very different than when you walk into a room, into a motel room, where we've, I've been many times rescuing people who have been um, held against their will and used in trafficked uh, situations primarily for sex. They look different. They sound different. They're dressed different. They look high. They look like they don't want to be there. 
yet they're there. Yet these people continue to take advantage of that service, continue to take advantage of the fact that they are available, that there's no one there looking out for them and making sure that they're safe and that they're protected and that they have the opportunity to move on with their lives and actually have a life going forward. In reality, being able to really, really get out of a horrible situation. Survivors of these types of trafficking situations find it very difficult to come out the other side. It takes years, sometimes never, but it takes years of therapy, years of ongoing care and medication and, 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 and you know, trial and error in terms of things that work to try to get those nightmares out of your head. It's a real problem. It's a problem for those that suffer at the abuse of those that do the trafficking. It's a problem because trafficking cases are very difficult to bring to court, very difficult to find victims that want to speak up, and very difficult to put an end to the demand side of this equation, the part where people are looking to have sex with people who are in situations against their will. Again, this isn't a conversation about prostitution. This is a conversation about human trafficking. We need to do better, my friends. We need to pay attention. We need to make sure that those we know in our lives are not bragging about such situations. And if they are, we need to find out where these places take place and, and, and let the police know. You'll save a life for sure. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of these lives out there right now of people that no one's looking for or perhaps have lost and have no idea where they've gone who are now sitting in some motel room waiting for the next John to walk through the door to pay their paltry dollars to take advantage of and abuse these slave-driven victims of this horrible act of human trafficking. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, another horrible story. We're living in a bad place right now. Rash of GTA murders signal crisis and violence against women. That's what we're going to talk about when we come back with an expert here. So just join us right after this commercial break. You're on the road to recovery. My name is Jonah Budd, 640 Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. Thank you for joining us. You're on the Road to Recovery. My name is Yona Bud, your host this evening. If you don't know who I am, I'm the uh, clinical director and co-founder of The Farm in Stouffville, residential treatment center dealing with mental health and addiction. I'm also the co-founder and clinical director of recoverinhome.com. It's an in-home recovery program, virtually um, driven uh, support with a therapy team. And uh, I have a private practice. I talk to you all on the radio and do just all kinds of stuff I can to help people. I speak, by the way, if you're interested in having me speak at an event or to one of your groups, be glad to come out and do that. Um, and uh, just try to do what I can to help people's days get a little bit better, spread a little sunshine, if you will, find some light in a dark place, all that kind of stuff. But right now, I am your host, and I'm pleased to be here to share with you all. Do you know it's now 1021-ish or so? Do you know where your children are, your loved ones? Just did a show about missing people and how they end up being trafficked. Hopefully you don't have anyone in your life that's missing. And if you do and you're concerned seriously about it, you should call 911. Or you can always get a hold of me sometime if you need some help, 877-777-5808. Or you can send me a message here, road to recovery at 640 Toronto. Dot com. Love to hear from you and we'll be glad to share your messages in the weeks coming. We're in a bad moment 
rash of GTA murder signals, murders signal crisis in violence against women. October 26th, LV Sig Odd, 44, and her daughter Angelica Sig Odd, 20, are stabbed to death in North York, allegedly by her husband and the father of uh, Angelica. September 9th, uh, Shand Dan Preet Kaur, 22, is stabbed to death, allegedly by her husband in the Mississauga Canadian Tire. September 21st, Veronica Henry, 67, and her husband, Colin Henry, 68, are stabbed to death, allegedly by their son in their Etobicoke apartment. September 23rd, Nahid Ashkarar, uh, 64, is stabbed to death, allegedly by her nephew in her Vaughn home. The violent deaths of the GTA women in a matter of weeks are a clear sign of crisis of intimate partner and family violence, especially as rising rents and prices make it harder for women to leave Advocates say they're stuck in this situation. A third woman makes less than $15 an hour. How would you leave an abusive situation when you're being cared for by your partner financially? Not to mention the unaffordable housing, long waiting list for affordable childcare, and so on. The manager of Consent Com First at Toronto Metropolitan University says, we're in a bad moment. Catalin Keeger Bardswish, the director of communications at Women's Shelter Canada, agrees that the current economic situation can only make the risks of violence even worse. My guest this evening is Sharon Main Devine. She's the CEO of Catholic Family Services Peel Dufferin and the lead of the Brampton-based Safe Center of Peel. Sharon, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So not a pretty story, um, one that we definitely need to talk about. Uh, we've lost 11 women or so, so far this year that we know about uh, to this type of intimate partner violence, domestic violence. Um, hearing about it constantly, uh, I have people showing up to my practice with this type of situation, just recently got out of a bad situation, trying to get their lives in order, feeling a lot of anxiety and fear around making that choice, making that uh, big move to be out on their own. What exactly is this crisis that we're dealing with right now from the perspective that you sit and look at it from? Well, we've had uh, many, in many families, couples isolated for a long time during the pandemic. And now, um, you know, women are reaching out for help. Sometimes they're, uh, they don't know where to reach out for help. And we've seen an increase in the kinds of violence that are happening uh, we're seeing much more uh, high-risk situations, uh, weapons offenses, strangulation has gone way up. Uh, and while we're seeing far, far too many and many women coming to us, uh, the resources that we have to respond to women um, haven't kept up with the demand for services, which means that at times uh, women have to wait for service or there um, are no shelter beds available for her to go to. Um, and we also see a situation now with rising house, housing costs and uh, nowhere for women to go. And for women, especially who have children, you know, where do you go? Where do you go? And women will put their children first so often and think housing and shelter and food for her children is more important. Um, so a lot of women kind of put up with the abuse and after a while, their confidence is low. It's been eroded. She feels powerless um, and just always hopeful that it will change. Um, so it's, it's a terrible time right now out there for women and children and their families. You know, each one of these deaths 
is a woman in a community, um, you know, with, uh, you know, brothers, sisters, mothers, aunts, grandmothers, uh, everyone is impacted uh, when a woman is killed or when a woman finds herself in hospital with serious injuries. Uh, if you're just joining in right now, I'm talking to Sharon Main Devine. She's the CEO of Catholic Family Services Peel Dufferin and the lead of the Brampton-based Safe Center of Peel. We're talking about a rash of GTA murders, uh, which signals a huge crisis in violence against women. Um, Sharon, the, econ- the economy as a whole is a real big issue with inflation and grocery prices, gas prices, uncertainty. Uh, violence tends to increase as people become, uh, as you were alluding to, I think earlier in your in your your early comments uh, as the as financial situations get more difficult uh, it appears to put pressures on families and then usually something snaps uh, and in the cases that we're talking about usually the person snapping is you know in most cases the husband uh, and snapping against his family out of frustration anxiety uh, distress uh, fear uh, panic um, how much of this do you think is uh, plays a, a factor, the economic factors uh, play into the risk increasing for women? Certainly, you know, the economic situation plays into it, you know, increasing stress. You know, if a man, uh, you know, is uh, struggling to make ends meet, is feeling powerless himself, you know, he'll uh, try to find power wherever he can get it. Uh, and that can be in his in his home. Um, and the stress is built. And then if people are also using um, alcohol as a way of coping, uh, that exacerbates the situation. Um, now, having said that, abuse of women has occurred, you know, has occurred across all times and also occurs during good economic times as well. I think it's a, it's a problem we've been facing. I've been in this work for over 30 years. Um, so I think these economic times make it worse and increase the violence, but it's something that unfortunately is still pres- has been present for, for the 30 years I've been doing this work and far, far um, beyond that time. The, um, you know, this might be an unpopular question, but that's okay. I get to ask it anyway. The, um, the types of families that are affected, I know that um, we're, we're looking at, um, at economic factors and, and indicators, uh, but is there some reality or is there some truth in the fact that certain cultures uh, where we're seeing people, you know, move to Canada, come to Canada, make Canada their home, but they're 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 entrenched in 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 certain cultures and certain types of behaviors where you know the male is dominant, the woman is subservient, and when she steps out of line, uh, there's usually some you know uh, price to pay in terms of either being scolded verbally, hopefully that's at least uh, or at the most, uh, but often there's physical interaction. Certainly, uh, those making others feel insecure and a little more worthless. Um, how much of this is a cultural thing that we need to try to overcome, um, or how much of this is 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 just is that not really the case? Uh, is some of this cultural, or is this simply uh, something that happens um, across all cultures? And perhaps um, what I'm looking for here isn't a reality. It, it happens across all cultures, all cultures, all classes. Uh, it's it's an issue we've been struggling with, I think, for unfortunately for hundreds of years, really, the abuse of women. And I think, you know, as we get more education about this, as women have the means to be able to leave a relationship sooner, 
um, she's able to escape the abuse potentially sooner if she has resources. So I think poverty is probably the bigger issue. Uh, certainly lots of, you know, cultures have different perspectives or ideas about the role of women in their culture. Um, you know, we serve the community in Peel uh, in 16 different languages. And, you know, women will often say that before they immigrated to Canada, they weren't experiencing the abuse that they begin to experience uh, once they've moved and are here. And some of that has to do with kind of the, the disruption of, of uh, kind of the social order, not having the supports in place. Uh, you know, oftentimes, uh, you know, a man is also being treated badly, confronting racism. Perhaps he's not been able to get employment in the career that he was very successful at in the country he came from. So all of these things tear away at a person's self-esteem and sense of self. Uh, and if you're feeling powerless, you know, then you try to gain power where, where you can. Um, and that's true, certainly, for people from other cultures. But it's also true, you know, for people who've lived in Canada for, for generations. Uh, you, you mentioned in the article that I'm referring to here, our biggest challenge has been keeping up with the volume of cases that are coming in. Uh, it's overwhelming uh, victim services in particular. As soon as we come back from break, uh, Sharon, if you'll stick with us, that would be great. Well, we're going to come back and continue to talk to Sharon Main Devine. She's the CEO of Catholic Family Services, PEO, Peel Dufferin, and the lead of the Brampton-based Safe Center of Peel. We come back, we're going to chat some more around this whole issue of uh, people being victimized women in particular. You're on the road to recovery. This is Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Thank you for joining us. You're on the road to recovery. I'm Yona Bud, your host. Welcome back. We're talking with Sharon Main Devine. She's the CEO of Catholic Family Services, Peel Dufferin, and the lead of Brampton-based Safe Center of Peel. We're talking about domestic violence, specifically violence against women. Uh, she goes on to say in this article, particularly troubling is an uptick in the degrees of violence, especially an increase in cases of strangulation and the use of weapons. If we do an audit of every murder that happened, we're going to see that there was a man who may have been known to police and may have been known to probation, but there were no other services provided for him. Divine says, describing the lack of interventions as a gaping hole. Thank you for sticking with us, Sharon. Welcome back. Um, give me an idea here. Let's get to some of the little bit of a positive spin, if there's such a thing. Um, talk a little bit about what your your organization does, what Catholic Family Services and the Safe Center of Peel. What, what do you do there, and uh, what do we need to know about it? Okay, so at Catholic Family Services, uh, we provide individual, couple, and family counseling and crisis support uh, to our community. And um, we lead uh, the Safe Center Appeal, which is uh, a one-stop one shop, uh, eight different agencies all living together on one site uh, so that women uh, can come to us with their kids, uh, and get any number of services that she needs to help her uh, extricate herself uh, from the relationship or develop strategies in order to keep herself safe and her children safe. Uh, we provide services in 16 different languages across all of our partners, uh, and we're there to uh, assess safety, provide uh, safety planning, and get her what she needs. 
Um, give me an idea here. Let's just um, look at this a little bit further. Um, the types of uh, challenges that you're, that you're facing as an organization, um, give me an idea how they've increased um, over time and how, in fact, the type of intimate partner violence has changed, what type of weapons used and so on. Give me an idea how that's kind of the landscape is changing for you as we speak. Uh, well, before the pandemic hit, we were serving about 500 women uh, in any given year. Uh, and since the pandemic, those numbers have gone up to 1,800. And we have not seen uh, any increase to our funding. None of our partners have seen any increases to our funding as well to respond to the, the burgeoning needs. Uh, we also, at Catholic Family Services, have a program, a Partner Assault Response Program, which is a program uh, for men uh, when they have uh, been charged and have gone through probation. Um, and so, but that's about the only program that we have for them. Um, and a lot of times men are looking for other kinds of helps and support. It could be addiction support, mental health support, uh, even housing support for themselves. Uh, and we just don't have um, the capacity to meet all the needs that uh, men are presenting with um, as well. So, it's, you know, I think we're, we've got this pressure cooker of a situation with more and more people needing help with yeah. fewer access to resources at any given time. Um, so women will, you know, have to wait Um I think the other thing that's really a challenge for us is that we need some resources to do more community education earlier on. Yeah, uh, sure. You know, we can prevent some of this stuff. You know, yeah. we need to be able to do uh, what we refer to as upstream interventions, you know, intervening yeah. earlier, working with communities, uh, educating communities, because things don't start with weapons offenses and strangulation. That's where things end. Uh, you know, it's, it starts with, you know, jealousy, keeping track of where she's going, isolating a woman from her friends, controlling money. I mean, we can get in there earlier. We can prevent, we can prevent all of these murders. We really can. We have the... Yeah, I, I I so hear you, and it's just so sad that we're, a step, we're always a little bit of a step behind. Um, you know, in the little bit of time we've got left, um, Sharon, can you help us understand uh, as 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 an audience here what what do we need to learn? What do we need to know more about intimate partner violence and sort of what are some of the most common misconceptions? So, for example, you just said you know it starts with demeaning conversation and uh, keeping people away from their friends. So, we as friends or family members, we should be able to pick up on some of these. things. What, what are those things we should be able to pick up on? Uh, I think, you know, just noticing, you know, that somebody maybe you love and care for is you're not seeing as much of them maybe as you used to. Uh, there's a sense that she's being controlled in some ways. You're maybe uh, noticing some fearfulness on her part. Uh, sometimes she might even get defensive if you ask her what might be going on um, in, you know, in her family or in her relationship. Uh, I think that, um, you know, sometimes people judge uh, a woman, you know. Um, people might think that she had it, has it coming. Um, why doesn't she just leave if things are bad? Um, and I think what's really important is if you're concerned about someone, to be able to reach out. Uh, and if you're not sure how to handle it, um, anyone can call the Assaulted Women's Helpline. 
uh, a parent, a sister, a good friend, if you're not sure what to do, if you're worried about someone, we can help you what's, help what's her. That, what's that phone number, Sharon? Give that to me now. It's one 863 511 And that's the uh, the Victims Assistance Hotline? Is that what you're saying? Yep. It's the Assaulted Women's Helpline. Uh, and they also have chat capacity. You can go on their website, website, just Google Assaulted Women's Helpline. They have a quick exit button that uh, removes the trace uh, of the, uh, the URL on the computer. Um, so anyone can go on there to get information and uh, can help. And then they can connect a woman or a family member to the services in her community. Uh, so they're a great service uh, for anyone to call to get more information, even going on their website to educate yourself to what to watch for. A lot of times a woman doesn't really even know she's being abused until things get much more serious. Um, and so the more she can be educated about what might be happening in her own relationship, the better as well. We've got about a minute or so left here. Um, quick question, uh, not quick question. We've got a minute to answer it. How can we prevent these things from happening, do you think, or where do we even start? That upstream, really educating people. You know, um, we, we need to be working with, you know, boys and young men. Uh, and, you know, we, when the men we do work with, a lot of them will say to us, I wish I'd known this sooner. I wish I'd had a group like this you know, when I was starting to date or when I was early married, if I'd known all this, then I I could be the man that I want to be. I mean, a man himself, he doesn't imagine that one day he's going to be, you know, abusing his wife or getting so desperate that, you know, he's, um, you know, hitting her in public or, you know, strangulating her. You know, so I think that the more we can get in there to provide that education to men and for men to be good allies in this issue. I mean, I think a lot of times we think of this as a women's issue. It's not a women's issue. It's a community issue. Uh, and it's an issue that all of us have some responsibility uh, to be able to do something about. Somebody always knows something's going on. You know, and do we reach out to a man if we're seeing him lose his cool or if we're worried about his behavior? Yep. I think, I'm you talking know, to, I think, I'm talking to, yeah, I appreciate it. i got to cut you off now. I apologize. Yep, I'm talking no to problem. Sharon Maine Divine, CEO of Catholic F Family Services, Peel Dufferin, and the lead of Brampton-based Safe Center of Peel. Um, just kudos to you and support and blessings for you and your group that do the hard work that you do, and we, uh, we are fortunate to have you out there. one 866 one Assaulted Women's Helpline. If you know anybody who's in a bad way, call these people, get the help for them that they need before it's too late and you're attending a funeral. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this Alberta government commitment of $20 million to help in human trafficking in their province and uh, what we need to do here, perhaps at home. You're on the road to recovery. I'm Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. You're on the last leg of the ride here on the Road to Recovery. My name is Yona Bud. I'm your host this evening. If you're jumping, just jumping on, it's a little late, but glad to have you. And uh, we're pleased that you would join us. Uh, you're the best audience ever. We love you, and we appreciate you joining in, you know, 
dialing us up for this particular time of the evening. And we know you have other choices and so happy that you chose us. Um, but got lots of stuff to do still, another little bit. And then all next week, whole, whole new set of stories to share and ideas that can perhaps help you move forward. We're coming back to this discussion about human trafficking, primarily around the uh, the Alberta government uh, story, by the way, if I sound a little stuffed up, this is me getting over COVID, but still doing very well. But at the end of the night, kind of just gets a little yucky. So I apologize if I sound like that, but I am healthy and strong, feeling great. Uh, but the concern that we have around trafficking, um, and let me explain to you, not just necess- not just in the, the world of sexual um, uh, interactions and, you know, sex for sale. Uh, this type of human trafficking also affects those in domestic work. Uh, we heard about stories uh, last year or so was reported, or I think a year, year and a half ago, reported of a whole bunch of uh, uh, hospitality workers uh, up north in various parts of northern Ontario working in resorts who were also being trafficked. Um, they were being held against their will. They had their past Sports and whatever paperwork taken away and working for basically meager meager wages, if any. They'd get paid some kind of fee, but then that fee would be charged back for room and board, staying in horrible conditions, uh, often uh, 10 people to a room, 8 people to a room, uh, using uh, bottles and uh, jars for bathrooms not being fed very well and clearly not in Canada to make the kind of money that they thought they would to send back or take back to the countries they came here from to try to make a better life for themselves and their families. Uh, but we need to understand that this kind of trafficking also affects those in domestic jobs, nannies, home, homemakers, housekeepers. Um, you know, if you're living the kind of property where you've got, you know, home care and, uh, you know, domestic support and uh, gardeners and people like that, often these folks are not coming from legitimate agencies. They're obviously, they're coming from situations that they were, you know, were led to believe one thing and they find out later on that it's another. It's too late when you're in the middle of it. You don't have any paperwork to get yourself back on a plane to get home, nor the money that you need to make that all happen. This Alberta Human Trafficking Task Force, this new advent of the type of legislation that we're talking about here to protect those that are part of, that are involved in human trafficking, making sure that they are uh, as much uh, working against those that are the perpetrators of the crime, uh, not just those that are holding people against their will, but in fact those that were taking advantage of those services, buying those services, taking advantage of knowing that this something is just doesn't feel right, doesn't smell right, just doesn't make you feel like this is a normal situation, a healthy situation at all. And, you know, that, and that's really what the difficulty is here for us, is to try to recognize that this does take place, and it takes place right around the corner from where you live. It takes place in your own neighborhood. It takes place at the summer camps your kids go to. It takes place at the hotels you may stay at. You know, if you look deeply into the deep into the side into the inner workings of some of these resort organizations, some of the people doing some of the dirtiest and most dangerous jobs aren't here necessarily willingly, and if they are, not on the terms that they thought they were being signed up for. Trafficking comes in so many different shapes and sizes. But any way you look at it, it's demeaning. Any way you look at it, it is destructive. The type of trauma, the type of post-traumatic stress and trauma that comes from being a victim of this type of trafficking, being demoralized, dehumanized, taken advantage of, having your rights taken away. It's very difficult to overcome that. Many people come to this country looking for opportunities because the countries they come from are harsh and unfair. And certainly when they get to Canada, specifically landing in Ontario, 
more specifically in our great city of Toronto, we would like to think, I would like to think, that you're safe here, that people can come here and work and make a legitimate living and, and work the hard hours that they need to work and no one complains. But being snatched out from under your own safety, being snatched away from situations, whether you are from this country or come to this country to try to make a better life for yourself. If you're from, you're born and raised in many generations of Canadians in various shapes and forms, and you're just from a family who doesn't know that you're missing and they don't really care because you're too much trouble anyway, it's not good for you. It's not a good situation. And if you find, if you're listening to the radio somehow by now, and you're listening, you're in a cab right now, you happen to be somewhere where we're playing my show, you need to call 911. Get the help that you need. We will help you. We will help you. 877-777-5808. Toll-free number. You can get me anytime, 24 hours a day. If I don't answer, someone from my team will, and we will try to help you if you're afraid of calling the police. Do the right thing. Get yourself out of the situation. And if you know that something's going on in your, in your home next door or in the condo next door or up the street in the, in, the, in the motel that's around the corner from where you live and you just see all kinds of action late at night and what appear to be young girls or young people being you know, uh, ushered in and out of uh, a room into a van running away, driving away, this is a situation that's not kosher, so to speak. It's not straight up and down. We need to fix it. You need to pay attention to it. You need to report it if the opportunity arises. That's our job. Our job is to protect people from being taken advantage of, whether it's protecting the women and the, and the females in your life or perhaps males in your life who are victims of domestic violence, and you know about it because you know about it. If it's in your neighborhood, if it's around the corner, if it, these are the parents of some of the kids your kids go to school with and you hear stories, don't just sit, sit back and look at each other going, wow, that's awful. Really wish we could do something. Do something. Make the call. If you're wrong, you're wrong. But if you're right, chances are you could save a life. Standing back and not paying attention to this and pretending it doesn't happen because it doesn't affect me isn't the answer. Because one of these days it's going to be your niece, God forbid, your daughter, your granddaughter, your goddaughter, the daughter of a good friend, the daughter of somebody at work. They're going to be telling you this story down the road and you would have wished that you would have done something different. You would have wished that you could have made some kind of change, paid attention to something you saw or heard and perhaps did what you could to save a life. Anyway, it's not all great news, but it's hopefully news in the right direction. We are making change. We are doing things to make it better. We are setting up task force and changing laws to protect people who are victims of these horrible, horrible crimes. Thank you for joining me this evening. We're coming back next week with a whole new slot of uh, thing, a whole new slate, excuse me, of things to talk about. We appreciate you joining us. You're on the road to recovery. My name is Yona Bud, 640 Toronto.